I love a road trip. I consider myself a professional road tripper, actually. But I have to confess that um, my idea of a road trip may not be what most people consider a good time. Most of my road trips in recent years uh, revolve around my parents' ministry to Native America out west. And a friend of mine, while I was describing some of my road trips, said that these road trips are more like a suicide mission than they are a road trip. Let me give you an example of what my road trips are like. Uh, One road trip, for instance, I left from this area, from Trenton, Georgia, and me and my brother drove straight through to Lander, (coughs) Wyoming. That is about 1,709 miles. We did this straight through. It's 28 plus hours when you stop only for fuel and emergency purposes. Now, what makes it crazy is the return trip back happened less than 36 hours later. Yeah, boy. Um, Another one is to where my parents are now, and most of them involved that trip to Pine Ridge, South Dakota. One was from, again, the Trenton area where me and a buddy took a 1987 Ford Econoline 15-passenger van. Yes, luxurious. Um, to Pine Ridge, South Dakota. We left Trenton, and that's about 1,273 miles, about 21-plus hours straight through, and we made the return journey in less than 24 hours. Now, I've made two journeys from the Birmingham area to Pine Ridge, South Dakota, about 1,300-plus miles. Me and my brother did it straight through, and it took us about 24-plus hours straight through, and we returned in less than 24 hours back. Now, my wife and I took the trip um, uh, once uh, together, and we split it up into two days, about 14 hours the first day and about nine and a half hours the second day. The reason why we split it up was because she had a uh, minivan, a large minivan full of teenagers, and I had a 15-passenger van full of teenagers. And while we are crazy, we are not, in fact, suicidal. Those trips are tough. Me and my brother this past week were describing and remembering these road trips. And as we remembered those road trips, we were discussing some of those memories and the fact that as fun as they were and as good as we thought we were at those trips, we're not sure that we have what it takes anymore to make a journey like that just at the drop of a hat. As prepared as we thought we might have been and as able-minded and bodied as we thought we might have been, the truth was is... In every one of those journeys, there was something always that surprised us, something that we were not prepared for. And the truth is, is those journeys took a toll on us that it took a while to bounce back from. And we're pretty sure that those 300-mile stretch journeys through middle of nowhere, Nebraska, where all you see is corn, is something that we just, we don't want to endure that if we don't have to. I thought about that this week as I considered where we are today and Especially as we stand here at the threshold of a new year, not just any year, but 2021, that beaming ray of hope, our better late than never hero who finally stepped in to escort our drunken 2020 friend off the premises. And you and I feel as hopeful as we possibly could, but if we're honest, truth be told, you and I both know that the hopeful yet shaky promises of a new year in and of itself, and even the passing of a terrible year like 2020, in and of itself, those realities offer no guarantees. There is really no hope in those things themselves. 
But as we move into a new year, even though we understand that 2020 and all of its issues are as unresolved as the resolutions that inaugurated 2020 itself, you and I are reminded from God's Word and the truths that we find there that our hope and our confidence is not in a year. It's not in the passing of time or even the blessing that is a new day. Our hope and our confidence is found in the one who is in and of himself the very protection and provision that we are given for the journey. Our hope and confidence is found in the one who is mapping out and leading and guiding the journey that is ahead. It's found in the one who is leading and guiding his children every step of the way, no matter what is ahead. It's found in the one who is walking right beside his children, no matter what comes in the days ahead. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want us to turn to Psalm 23, what is possibly the most familiar passage in all the Bible, if not in the Old Testament for sure, and definitely in the Psalms. And with that comes a challenge. We know these verses with an almost intimate familiarity. This passage is so well known to so many people. And the challenge for us this morning is to come with fresh eyes, with a fresh mind and a fresh heart to these verses that we know so well. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us do that because the truths that are contained here within these words and these sentences that you and I will come to that we know so well, the truths that are here really do point us to some hope that we need for the journey. Some truths that I believe will embolden and strengthen our confidence in the hope that is necessary for the days that are ahead. Out of the 150 psalms that are given to us, this psalm seems to stick out and stand out. Charles Spurgeon said that this psalm is the pearl of the psalms. Alexander McLaren said that Psalm 23 has dried many tears, and it has supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith. Countless millions have read and quoted and memorized these words. In many cases, if not most cases, this psalm is used to sort of comfort and encourage those who find themselves in the darkest days, if not their last days. And it's true that this chapter, this psalm, is Definitely filled with promises and truths that are there for us when we find ourselves fighting in the most difficult circumstances, in our darkest days and even our last days. But the psalm itself is not just for those difficult and dark times. It's not just for our death days. It's there for every day of life. The promises that are here are meant to sustain us and help us today and every day. It's often called a shepherd's psalm because it is, in fact, one of the shepherd's psalms. David, who is a shepherd, writes this psalm, and he points us to our shepherd. But in fact, it is really a sheep's psalm because it's written from the perspective of a sheep who sees in right view and in right relation the glory of his shepherd and the promises that come from a right relationship with the shepherd. And so as we stand here today, this psalm and the words of this shepherd David remind us as the sheep of the shepherd 
What it means to find satisfaction, protection, life, joy, and hope for the journey that's ahead. And so this morning, I'm going to show you several things from the passage. And the first is really as we zoom out for just a moment. I want you to see the person of hope. The person of hope. Now, while Psalm 23 is maybe the most famous psalm, it is best seen in the context, really, as its centerpiece of a trilogy of shepherd psalms. Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 are what is known as the shepherd psalms. Three psalms that are given to us here. They are psalms of David written as shepherd psalms. And they provide for us a big picture that is really important to see Psalm 23 in its right context. They point us to Christ as our shepherd. And in very significant and important pictures that I want you to see quickly. Charles Spurgeon said that these three psalms... The Holy Spirit uses David to write, and as he speaks through David, Spurgeon said, he is enabling him to touch the mournful strings in Psalm 22, to pour out uh, gentle notes of peace in Psalm 23, and then in Psalm 24, David utters majestic and triumphant strains. Spurgeon said, we can do or sing all things at all times, When the shepherd is with us. These three psalms together shine light on Christ as our shepherd. In Psalm 22, see Christ as the good shepherd. We don't have time to look at this in detail, and I encourage you to go in your time and read these psalms. In Psalm 22, David is pouring out his heart in discouragement as he is being assailed and attacked by what seems like every enemy he has. And he cries out to God as it feels like the whole world is coming against him. He cries out for a good shepherd to protect him and to deliver him. He is a sheep in need of a good shepherd. And in Psalm 22, David declares that the Lord will deliver him from the mouth of the lion. Here Jesus in John 10 declare, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, see Christ as the great shepherd. Here in this famous passage, David identifies himself as a sheep (laughs) under the wonderful watchful care of the great shepherd. This great shepherd is working by his great power His great provision and protection to work and to provide, to protect, and to do all things for the sheep for His great purpose and His great glory. There's a reflection of this in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. The writer says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. May that God and that shepherd by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with every good thing that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. The great shepherd is working, providing, protecting to do all things for his name's sake. In Psalm 24, see Christ as the chief shepherd David says that he is the rightful Lord and ruler of all things in Psalm 24, declaring that he is the God who is working and reigning and ruling in every place at all times for his name and kingdom's sake. 
He declares Him the rightful ruler of creation, of His people, and all that He does is for His great kingdom and purpose. As Lord and ruler in Psalm 24, David says, He is establishing His kingdom and purposes, and He does that in no greater way than through His redemption purposes in Christ, giving us the grace that is needed, listen, to share and have access in that kingdom. He has conquered our enemies and opened up the gates for us to come in. He is this chief shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5 echoes this reality when it says, When our chief shepherd appears, he will give to us, us, a crown of glory. The first principle here is the person of our hope for the journey. David is drawing us in context to see our hope, listen, first and foremost, is not in anything or anywhere else. It is in Christ Jesus. As we move through Psalm 23, hear me first. It's Him. Jesus is the person of our hope. In every moment, in every season, in every circumstance, along every mile of the journey, it's Him. The Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd, Christ Jesus, is the foundation and object of the believer's hope. Outside of Him, there is no hope. We rely on His nature, we rely on His character, and His promises and purpose that flow from that nature and character. In doing so, you and I can rest with confidence and hope for the journey. Now as we walk through Psalm 23 quickly, see in verse 1 the relationship of hope. Verse 1, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The word Lord that David used here is in English translated from that name that God first reveals to Moses in Exodus 3. And then it's repeated over 4,000 times throughout the Old Testament. The Lord, that inexhaustible name of God, I am who I am. A name that is as inexhaustible as God Himself. It literally means I am exactly who I am and there is no one else and nothing else beside me. He is the all-sufficient, inexhaustible God. He needs no one else because He is who He is. He needs no wisdom because He is in Himself all wisdom. He needs no power because He is in Himself all-powerful. He is who He is. He is all-sufficient. He is the timeless God, which means He has no beginning and no end. He is inexhaustible in His timelessness, which means He cannot and will not change. His character in nature, His timelessness, His mercy, His greatness, it was, not, it was always this way. God is that, He was that way yesterday. He's that way today. He'll be that way tomorrow. I am that God. I am who I am. I cannot change. David says that transcendent, inexhaustible God is my shepherd. That transcendent God, see Him condescending in flesh to tabernacle among us in the lowest of pictures. The outcast of society, he is my shepherd. David paints this glorious truth for us, and we see it in the person of Jesus. But notice, please, the relationship. David says, that God, that Lord is my shepherd. 
We have to understand two things about this statement. Number one, there's a clear relationship to the shepherd here. And if that's obvious and true, then the promises that follow from that relationship are not for everyone. Countless multitudes through the years may have read this psalm, quoted it, memorized it, or even treasured it. But listen, it is only for those who know the Lord, who are His sheep who can say He is my shepherd, only those who know Him in this relationship can be beneficiaries of the promises that will follow. People may know it and people may treasure it, but only those who can say the Lord is my shepherd can partake of these benefits. So here at the very beginning, I ask the most critical question anyone will ask you today. Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? Do you know with confidence that you have this relationship with Him? If there's no confidence in the answer to that question, listen, there is no confidence for any other question. There is no hope for the, years, for the year to come. But the good news of the Gospel is that Jesus is the Good Shepherd who knows His sheep, and His sheep know Him. He's condescended, He's come, He's paid the price by laying down His life. There's a relationship here to those who can say with confidence and hope, the Lord is my shepherd. There's hope for the journey. I want you to see, secondly, the satisfaction, or excuse me, thirdly, I guess, the satisfaction in hope. David says again in verse 1, I shall not want. There is no lacking. What could I possibly want? The Lord is my shepherd. Everything that is needed is provided in relationship to the shepherd. Sheep are naturally dependent on the shepherd for everything that they could need. They have no means and no way to provide anything for themselves. But don't miss the connection that David makes here. The satisfaction that comes, a life without lack, comes in direct response or from his relationship to the shepherd. He alone can satisfy. He alone can provide. He alone can fulfill the heart's desires. The satisfaction that we are needing alone comes from the shepherd. Yes, He provides. Yes, He protects. Yes, He leads and He guards and He directs. But listen to me, those are all just benefits. It's satisfaction that the sheep desires. And it is only found in relationship with the shepherd. For those who know the shepherd and are known by him, there is a satisfaction for the soul that never lacks. So many are looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. 2020 is a case study in that very truth. When we're troubled, when we're tested, when we're tried, when we are pressed, when we are purified, when we're persecuted, or when we're just simply inconvenienced. How do we respond? Finding our satisfaction in Him alone gives hope for every circumstance, for every situation, and confidence in hope for every step of the journey. Notice verse 2, the peace of hope. David says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I love this picture. In relationship with the shepherd, we begin to enjoy and live in the benefits and blessings that he alone provides. 
Notice, he makes me lie down. This speaks about what the shepherd does so that lying down is possible. Philip Keller was a pastor and literally a shepherd for years, many years. And he talked about how it was impossible to sometimes make sheep lie down. And he says specifically, sheep do not lie down easily. He said, in fact, it's almost impossible for them to lie down unless four basic requirements are met. He said, number one, owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. He said, number two, because of their social behavior within the flock, that they will not lie down unless there is peace among the flock. He said, because of fleas and parasites and other bugs, and unless that has been made provided for, unless there have been uh, some sort of ointment or oil or things like that put on the sheep, if there's not been uh, some sort of provision for parasites and bugs, he said they will not lie down. And then lastly, if they feel hungry or thirsty, if they are worried about food or water, they will not lie down. They must be free from hunger and thirst. He makes me lie down. Our great shepherd satisfies and provides all that is needed for peace and rest. In him, we can lie down and not fear and not fight, and not worry, not be bothered. But notice he leads me beside still waters. There's two things here, a joyful and willing obedience to follow, and an understanding that wherever he leads is peaceful. It's leading to nourishment and life. Still waters are crucial for the sheep. Without them, they won't drink and they won't survive. But where the shepherd leads is peace. It's life, it's rest, it's hope. He's leading those who follow Him, and those who follow Him can do nothing else. This is what they do. Matthew Henry, speaking about this leading, said that those who feed on God's goodness must follow His direction. They can do nothing else. Speaking of this Spirit's, spirit's guidance, Henry continues and says, He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. Listen, he said, These are paths in which all the saints desire to be led and kept and never turn away from. We don't know what is ahead for us in the journey, but to follow our great and good shepherd, our chief shepherd, is to have confidence that where he is leading is to peace and life and growth and rest. May God help us to be a people that surrender to His leading, the confident hope that where He leads is to life, and that it's better than any way we would pick. We can have peace because we have hope in our shepherd that He has provided all that is necessary for the journey. See the praise of hope in verse 3, the praise of hope. I love this. There's a duality of pictures all through this psalm, but this is probably my favorite Look at the word restore. He says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. This namesake, this word restore that is used here speaks of both returning and making new. It's both reviving and bringing back to life. The duality is obvious. Nothing gets lost as easily or as badly as sheep. 
Now, if you know much about sheep, then you've probably been offended a time or two when Scripture refers to us as sheep. They are something else. In their stubbornness and ignorance, they wander without even realizing it. In their weakness, they are completely incapable of ever getting back on their own. Does that sound like anybody else besides me? We are the other side of that picture. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, going to our own ways, thinking, surely God missed this option, and I'll just help Him out by taking a few steps. These are both the messages that David gives us. We must be restored. We must be brought back, and we must be brought back to life because we are dead. Sheep who have gone astray and brought back. And notice that the shepherd is restoring us so that he might lead us in paths of righteousness. Our shepherd, by his Spirit who indwells us, that those who belong to him... He is leading His sheep into the benefits of a relationship with Him, a right relationship with Him. And all of this is leading to an ultimate goal. Matthew Henry again speaks of this goal. He says that this leading in righteousness, He leadeth me in paths of righteousness, Henry says, in the way of my duty, in that He instructs me by His Word and He directs me by conscience and providence. For His name's sake. He restores, He leads, He transforms, and He does it all for a singular reason. For His name's sake. All of this so that He might be praised and glorified. So that His salvation in the lives of His people might be seen. This is the heart of the psalm for us all. All that God does, He does for Himself. Yes, He's for us, but He is for us that we might be for Him in His glory. That seems selfish to you and it rubs your theology the wrong way. It shouldn't. We're made for His glory and all the blessings and benefits that we experience are so that the praise might be returned to Him. It's His name, His glory, His character on display. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm chapter 67, verses 1 through 3. It's on the screen. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. Why? Why would they want that? So that your way may be known on the earth, that your saving power, your salvation might be known among the earth or on all the earth and among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. There's hope for the journey for those who have been revived, restored, brought from death to life. And we can face the journey ahead because we are under the care of a good shepherd who is working for us, in us, for His glory. Notice in verse 4 next, the protection in hope. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Fear is a common problem with sheep because <laughs> they have no natural defense. Sheep are hysterical. So the shepherd must protect and guard the sheep at all times. And I love this. In his protection, because the sheep have no natural defense, as long as they're with the shepherd, there is an absence 
of fear. Notice the pronouns that David uses here in this verse begin to change. All throughout the psalm, he's used a third-person pronoun. He's been speaking of the shepherd in the third person. He, he's just simply talking to someone else, us, about the shepherd. He leads me. The Lord is, but here, in the valley, in the darkness, you are with me. I will not fear. Why would I fear? He's with me. It's here in the darkness, in the valley, that fear vanishes. Fear is absent in the presence of the shepherd. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. These were tools of both protection and correction in the sheep's life. They were there to help ward off attacks from predators and from enemies. They were also there as woodshed tools as well to correct the sheep, to bring them back, to restore and to work in their lives. The journey may lead us through the valley of death. Listen carefully. The shepherd may lead us through the valley of death. But we cannot fear, for he is with us. We will not go alone. We will be led by our shepherd who has promised to be with us. He does not abandon his children. There's hope. He protects us along the way. That gives hope. He corrects us along the way. That gives hope to people like me and you. And He's there with us every step of the way. That secures our hope for the journey. There's protection. Notice in verse 5, the provision in hope. The provision in hope. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows Notice you prepare a table. This is a place of feeding for the sheep. Could have been in a predetermined corral, a pen. But in most cases for the traveling shepherd and the sheep, especially when sheep have to be driven sometimes and led and chased down, it was possibly and more likely just out in the field, in the wilderness. Sometimes out in the middle of predators and threats. Now, we know, as we've already said, that the shepherd would sometimes go ahead or even before the sheep sheep to make all these necessary provisions so that they could lie down, so that they could eat, so that they could drink. We, We know that that is part of this, but David makes this connection. In the presence of my enemies, he does all of this and prepares a table for me to eat. My nourishment is made possible, but this table is also seen as if it's a banquet. A full spread in the presence of my enemies. David wrote in many other places how God would prove Himself and demonstrate His strength and His power, His faithfulness in the very face of David's enemies. And here he says, in the very place of trouble, in the very place of attack, in the very place of warrants and fear, that God provides a table. This is both a testimony to the sheep and to the enemies who were watching. How many times has God stepped in in the most unlikely of circumstances when you felt that the enemy surrounded you, but God in the middle of that mess somehow prepared a table of testimony reminding His sheep, I'm here and I'm still faithful, I'm still good, there is hope. What a testimony to the sheep. But listen carefully. 
It's also a testimony to those watching that the shepherd of the sheep is faithful. David says he anoints my head with oil. The shepherd would many times in the heat of the day or at the end of a day after a a sheep has found themselves after wandering in stupidity caught in a thicket or wounded shepherd would take the oil and anoint the head of the sheep, the skin of the sheep, tanned and weathered from the day. That cool oil would heal and bind the wounds of the sheep. So the great shepherd of the sheep, with the oil of his word and of his spirit, seeing the needs and the wounds and seeing too the spiritual health of his own sheep, anoints and heals. So with all these blessings considered, David says, my cup overflows. This is a testimony of those who know the shepherd and who are known by him. No matter what is ahead on the journey, he is the all-sufficient provision. He is the hope of the journey. Lastly, look at verse 6. See the promise of hope. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Notice David's surety. He says, surely. If you know much about David and you know much about the Psalms, uh, these songs are often bipolar in theme, are they not? Up and down, in and out, hot and cold. And David is not always a man of surety. But here, with absolute confidence, David, with a rock-solid foundation of hope in this shepherd, says, Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That is God's goodness and grace that leads to repentance and faith. God's abundant pardoning mercy and protecting mercy and providing mercy and keeping mercy and sanctifying mercy will keep him and lead him. David says, these will be the marks of my journey, like footprints behind me, like footsteps beside me. And David is so sure of this that this reality in his heart and soul transcends his very attitude and mind to the future. And he says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. No doubt, David is looking before the valleys of death here and the journey here to a day when all of it will come to an end. And the goodness and mercy that have kept him each day of his life here will see him off to the journey's ultimate reward. This is a promise And this promise is a source of hope that will enable us as His sheep to endure even the most unpredictable days ahead. We don't know what lies ahead for us in the year to come. But for those who know this shepherd, there is hope for our journey. Isaac Watts, in one of his hymns, one of my favorite, Our God in Ages Past, said it this way in the first verse, Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. In the last stanza, he said, Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, still be our God while troubles last and our eternal home. Again, I asked you the most important question. Are you in a relationship? Do you know with confidence that your hope is not in the things of this world in the days ahead or past, but in your relationship to this shepherd? Have you, by faith and repentance, believed the gospel? Have you put your faith in Jesus, this good shepherd, this great shepherd, our chief shepherd? You and I were separated from God because of our sin, but God made a way in Christ 
God provided a way of escape and a rescue. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. It is he who is our source of hope. If you don't know him this morning, I pray the Lord will grant you faith and repentance. There are those who will pray with you and show you what the Bible says about having this hope and this confidence. For those that know Him and are known by Him, I challenge you to respond with worship and thanksgiving. It leads to my last thought. No matter what lies ahead on the journey, there is hope for those who know Christ as their all-sufficient shepherd.